Thanks, everybody, for being out tonight. Appreciate uh, you making effort to be here, and I hope the things we have to talk about tonight uh, are, are helpful to you. Uh, a couple things to talk about before we get started. Um, first off, um, I wanted to make a mention a couple weeks ago, um, I mentioned in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, I just wanted to clar clarify something because when it, it, when it came out, I realized that maybe that didn't sound right. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, where it talks about do, in verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God and do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you're washed, but you're justified but in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Um, and you might even remember what I said, but I said that they, the Corinthians were guilty of all of those sins. And they weren't, I don't believe they were guilty of all those sins. They were guilty of those types of sins. But all of those sins can be repented of and forgiven and overcome. So I wanted to clarify that in case there was any question about that. Then second thing I want to mention, and I know they're not doing this for the praise of men, but I would like you to be praying this week for Joseph and Jasmine's uh, study that they've been organizing in their apartment complex. Jasmine worked to get a flyer printed up. Joseph's been working with the apartment complex there at their apartment complex. Um, 100 flyers have been, almost 100 have been handed out and mailed out. Um, uh, Joseph has put together an outline that he was going to teach the class. And I plan to be there as backups, but I don't think he'll need any help. Um, but just to be there for, to support that. And I told him if one person comes, it'll be a worthwhile effort. And if nobody comes, they were given the opportunity. And that's all we can do. Um, and so to God be the glory for that, but please be praying for that. And, uh, and uh, hopefully good will come from that. All right, tonight, I am glad that I tipped my hand this morning about what the topic of our sermon was going to be about because Ben had two excellent sermons or songs about that, and our invitation song is going to fit right in. I want to talk to you about our enemy. Uh, for those who were alive back then and those who were old enough to remember it, you remember back on September 11, 2001, when we were attacked? One of the scary things about that morning was that we knew we were under attack, but we didn't know who had done it. We didn't know who the enemy was. We didn't know what they were about, what their next step would be. You remember the president was down in Florida at an elementary school. They didn't, he didn't know what was going on. You remember they put him up in Air Force One and they just started flying around in circles to get him out of harm's way. We didn't know who the enemy was, where they were coming from, what they were going to do. Because if, when you're in a battle, in a war... You want to know everything you can know about your enemy. Who are they? What are their goals? How do they work? What are their objectives? You study the enemy so you can know how to be prepared. Well, we're in a war. We're in a battle. And we need to know what our enemy's about. What are his characteristics? What are his goals? How does he work? Tonight, I want to spend a little bit of time talking to you about that. I don't want this to be tedious, um, but we do need to go through... Uh, some details about our enemy, and that's awful small. I, don't, I didn't plan it being that small. Hopefully you can see that from your screen. <clears throat> I'm going to have to have Mark start making my slides for me. Uh, all right, so let's start off with how he's described in the Bible, his name, his description. That tells us a lot about, about someone, the names that he goes by. You've probably known some folks who had some nicknames that were very descriptive. Probably had some nicknames as well that were descriptive about what you're about. What about the, our enemy? 
His name is Satan in the Bible, mentioned 52 times. That word is a transliterated word from the Hebrew. And so uh, it's basically the same word in Hebrew that it is in, in English, Satan. And it literally means an accuser or an adversary. Now, every time that that word is used, it's not talking about our enemy. For example, look in your Bibles at Numbers chapter 22. Turn to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. You remember Balaam as he is uh, wanting to go and, uh, and receive that reward from Balak. Uh, he gets up in the morning when he shouldn't have gotten up in the morning to go to, uh, to Balak. In Numbers chapter 22, look at beginning of verse 21. Numbers 22, 21. So Balaam rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding his donkey, and there were two servants with him. That word there, the angel was the adversary. That word is Satan. The angel was Satan, so he was an adversary. So in general, the word Satan means adversary uh, or accuser. But it specifically is mentioned about our, uh, used about as the name of our enemy. One of those places that we see it is in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, beginning of verse 31. Luke 22, verse 31. The adversary is Satan. He is against us. He's working against us. He would like to defeat us. Luke 22, beginning of verse 31. Jesus tells Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Satan is the adversary here. He's against Peter in this passage. He's against us all. And so Satan is his, the first name that we see of our enemy in the Bible. The next name we see is the devil. The devil. And that name appears only in the New Testament. And it is the Greek word that is translated devil means false accuser or slanderer. False accuser and slanderer. Now it is always not, it is not always, again, referred to by a, name, a word that is used about our enemy. Look at John chapter 6, verse 70. John chapter 6, verse 70. Here it's used of, of uh, Judas. John chapter 6, verse 70. Jesus says of Judas, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? So the devil here is talking about Judas. He's not literally our enemy, the devil. He is a false accuser or slanderer. He's going to slander Jesus, but he is the devil, or he mentioned as the devil. Now, to our enemy, his character is that of being a false accuser. He slandered God's character. Look in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, he slanders God's character as he tries to say bad things about God, things that aren't true. In Genesis chapter 3, beginning of verse 2. Genesis chapter 3, beginning of verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, uh, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he's, he's saying bad things about the Father. That the, the Father lied to you. He's not telling you the truth. Don't believe him. He's a slanderer, a false accuser. So Genesis chapter... 
3, verses 2 through 5. And then finally, John 8, verse 44. If you look at John 8, verse 44, we see some more of this idea of of him being a false accuser, a slanderer. John 8, verse 44. You are of the father the, of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his, from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So he's a slanderer, the devil. Our enemy is a slanderer. He's also noted as being the tempter. Being the tempter. Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. Jesus is led into the devil, uh, the desert after his baptism. You remember that in Matthew chapter 4, beginning of verse 3. Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. Uh, now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. The devil is our enemy, is mentioned here as the tempter. The tempter. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul is worried about the Thessalonians, that they may have become prey to the tempter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. So he's worried that the tempter might have gotten to the Thessalonians, as he can get to any of us. And finally, in James chapter 1, James chapter 1, James chapter 1 tells us that this temptation that we have is not from God, it is from the devil himself. First uh, James chapter 1, verse 13. James 1, 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He uh, Himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And so we have our enemy is Satan, the devil, the tempter, and the evil one. Matthew chapter nine, verses uh, Matthew chapter six, verses nine through thirteen. Matthew chapter nine, six, verse nine through thirteen. In the model prayer, you remember that by heart. You don't even have to look, probably. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts from the evil one. Our enemy is mentioned here as the evil one. And he's just mentioned as the enemy in Matthew chapter uh, 13. In Matthew chapter 13, in the parable of the tares. We don't have to read the whole parable here for a matter of time. But in Matthew chapter 13, beginning of verse 24, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And so we have this idea of the enemy sowing tares. As Jesus gives the explanation of that parable in Matthew 13, beginning of verse 36, Matthew 13, begin verse 36, And Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. He answered and said, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. And so the devil, our enemy, is is mentioned here just as the enemy. So he is the enemy. He also is described, as we looked at John 8, verse 44 already, as a liar. 
or the father of lies. These names and these descriptions of him really help us to get an understanding about what he's about. He's an adversary, a slanderer, a tempter. He's evil, an enemy. He is a liar and the father of lies. John 8, verse 44 also says he's a murderer. He's a murderer, and we see that he is the ruler of this world. Look at John chapter 14, verse 30. John chapter 14, verse 30. John 14, verse 30, Jesus is near the end here, and he says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Our enemy is the ruler of this world. He is in control of this world and the evil in this world. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. 1 John 5, verse 19. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. He's in uh, control of the evil people in this world. They, under, or lay, they lie under the sway of him. He is ruling over them. He is also described as the God of this age in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. He's described as the God of this age. The God of this age. And in a very descriptive description, uh, 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 um, sorry, this, the next one is the angel of light, angel of light, uh, for 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. Again, these describe how he works, what he's about. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. He makes himself look good. He transforms himself into an angel of light. And then the descriptive uh, passage that I love about Satan, or Satan our enemy, is the fact that he's described as a roaring lion in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. The kids are riding really fast and hard. I'm going to slow down just a little bit, let them catch up, <clears throat> seeing smoke come off those pencils. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, our enemy, our adversary, the devil... So we have the idea of an adversary being Satan, the devil, being a slanderer, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. All right. So we have Satan, who is uh, an accuser or an adversary. We have the devil. We have the tempter. We have the evil one. We have the enemy. We have the fact that he's a liar, the father of lies, a murderer the ruler of this world, the God of this age, and he transforms himself into an angel of light. He goes about as a roaring lion. There's still more descriptive, descriptions and names of him. The next one is that he's mentioned as the dragon in Revelation chapter 12, verse 19. This one verse has three descriptions. I'll put them up all now. And uh, those are that he's a dragon, the dragon, the serpent, and the deceiver of the whole world. Revelation 12, verse 9. Revelation 12, verse 9. So the great, the great dragon was cast out, 
that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And so he is mentioned here as the great dragon, the serpent of old. That tells us that this was the devil back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. It connects two ideas that the devil and Satan, they're, all, they're both the same person, the same being, and that serpent of old, and he is about deceiving the whole world. And so we have some more descriptives there of him. And so those, those again, help us understand what he's about. All right? Hopefully everyone's had a time to catch up here a little bit, and hopefully you can read those, those words there. All right. Next up. What does the devil want? What does our enemy want? What does the deceiver, the tempter, the evil one, what does he want? Well, he wants to rule over us. Look at Acts chapter, um, Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, we'll start there in verse 18. Acts 26, verse 18. Jesus is giving Paul, or Saul at this time, his mission. And that is, verse 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The devil had control of these people. He was ruling over these people, and they needed to be delivered from bondage to Satan and to the enemy in order to be delivered to God. And so he need, they needed to be delivered from the bondage of Satan to God. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 tells us that when we uh, submit to him and we do his will, we become his slaves, his servants. We're under his control. In Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey... You are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that you, though you were the slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Satan wants to have control of us. He wants to rule over us. We need to understand that that's his mission. Not only that, he wants to kill us. He says here, he, and remember Jesus said in John 8 verse 44 that he's a murderer. He wants to kill us. Look at John chapter 10, verse 10. John chapter 10, for us are. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Our enemy's desire is to destroy us, to kill us. You remember, he's like that roaring lion that's walking around. Roaring lions don't walk around because they want to lick your hand. They want to eat you. They want to destroy you. Satan wants to destroy us. He wants to devour us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, as we said, the devil is a roaring lion. We're walking about seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't have good intentions. He doesn't have good uh, aspirations for us. He wants our destruction. He wants to rule over us and destroy us. And since he does want to do this to us, we need to know how he works. And so the next section of our lesson tonight, I want to talk about how he works. 
We need to understand this. We need to be aware of his methods and the way that he's going to work so we can be on guard against it. First off, we need to understand that he's going to lie. John 8, verse 44 again. Remember, it says that he is a liar and the father of it. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. He distorts the truth. He tells lies. And he's done that all the way back to the first account we have of him. In Genesis chapter 3, what does he say? He tells a lie. He, God says, you'll die the day you eat of it. And Satan comes along and says, no, 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 you're not going to die. It's not like that. He told a lie. And he got Eve and Adam to believe the lie. He'll tell us lies. He'll tell us that what we're tempted to do is good, and we ought to do it. It'll bring us happiness and fulfillment, that God is just telling us to do things that get in our way. Listen to me, and you're going to be fine. It's going to be good. He tells lies. Furthermore, we know from the Bible that he also misapplies scriptures. In Matthew chapter 4, back to that account we were looking at where Jesus is led to the desert and he's fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And now the tempter comes to him, as he's described there in Matthew. He's taken a passage from the Psalms here that is figurative in nature. And he's tried to put a literal application on it to get Jesus to sin. In Matthew chapter 4, beginning of verse 5. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. That is an exact word-for-word -word quotation from the book of Psalms. The problem is he did not apply it correctly. And so we know that he misapplies scriptures and he distorts scriptures. And I believe that he still does this today by convincing those who are his servants, who submitted to him to misapply and misinterpret uh, uh, scripture and to teach others to do the same. He uses ways, the scriptures, in a way that suits him. People today in our world are using scriptures in a way that suits them. That's how the devil works. He misapplies scriptures. He also is said to blind people in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ." The God of this age has blinded. There are people today who cannot see the plain and clear teachings of the Scripture. Why is that? Because they've been blinded by the God of this age. They've submitted to Him and allowed Him to blind them to the truth where they don't see what He's doing. He also uses schemes or wiles. He uses schemes or wiles. Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 beginning. Ephesians chapter 6 beginning of verse 10, that well-known passage. 
about the armor of God. Notice why we put on this armor of God. Because we're trying to fight against the devil and we're specifically trying to fight against his schemes. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning of verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, being girded with your, uh, having girded your waist with truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We do this so that we can stand against the devil in his schemes or his wiles. He's going to use tricks. He's going to try and fool us. He's going to use tactics that are elusive, maybe, to try and uh, to trick us. But they are not such tactics that would catch us completely unawares. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. We can know how he's going to come at us. He's going to use these tricks and these devices and these schemes. But we can understand them and we can be prepared ahead of time. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. We can understand how Satan's going to work. How can I do that? How can I know how Satan's going to work? Well, I can look at the Bible. I can look at how he's tempted people in the Bible. That's why we study a lot of the passages we study and the stories that we study. Specifically, one of the reasons why we study the Old Testament. Why go through the Old Testament? That's not about us. Well, I can learn about the devil. I learn about God, but I also learn about the devil. How did he trick Eve and Adam? How did he trick other people? How did he trick Balaam? How did he trick David? How did he trick Solomon? You go down the list. He's going to use those same tactics on me and on you. I can know about that. I can also know his tactics because I know how he's come at me before. You know, if you had a real enemy, you were in a real war, and the enemy had a certain tactic, he attacked you a certain way, you know, you're going to be on guard against that the next time. And so it could be for the devil as well. I'm not ignorant of the devices he's used on me. I don't, I'm not ignorant of the ways that he's gotten to me before. And I could be on guard against that. He's going to use these schemes, but I can be prepared ahead of time for the schemes. He uses tricks. He uses schemes. He uses wiles. And the last point we want to talk about as we talk about how he works is an important point that we have to note. And that he has these tools at his disposal, but he is completely limited by God. God has a reign on how far Satan can go. God has a leash on Satan. Look at Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Luke 22, verse 31. Satan has to get God's permission to do anything. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Satan has to ask. And he did that in the story that Joseph read for us of Job. In Job chapter 1, chapter 1 and 2, Satan goes before God and he has to have permission to go after Job. He has to have permission to use his tactics and his schemes against Job. 
And God granted permission. But God has a leash on Satan. He's not at liberty to do just however he wants. And one very important passage relative to us is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 shows us again that Satan is limited by God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There is no temptation that has taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God is not going to allow Satan to come at you in such a way that you can't handle it. God has a leash on Satan. Satan is under uh, God's control, or God is limited by God, let's put it that way. All right, so we know something about his name and his description. That tells us a lot about what he's about. We know from what he wants for us. He wants to destroy us, to kill us, to take us captive. He works in by telling us lies, by misapplying scriptures, by blinding people to the truth, using these schemes and these tactics. Finally tonight, I want to address some of the misconceptions and false ideas about Satan. Because there are a lot of false ideas about Satan. The first misconception about Satan is that his name is Lucifer. This is found from, in Isaiah chapter 14, or 14. Isaiah chapter 14, if you turn in your Bibles here, it's common misunderstanding that Satan's name is Lucifer. That's found in verses 12 through down uh, around... Um, uh, verse, uh, verse 15. Look at this. Look at chapter 14, verse 12. Begin. Down to the ground. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also set on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest part depths of the pit. That sounds 100% like our enemy, the devil. If you were to take that passage and just read it, you'd say, well, that's got to be, that's got to be Satan. That's got to be our enemy. That's got to be Lucifer is his name. The problem is that this passage is not talking about our enemy, not talking about the devil, the wicked one. It's talking about Babylon. And we have to take this passage in its context because we'll see that before this passage and after this passage, Isaiah is talking about Babylon. Look at Isaiah chapter 14, beginning of verse, uh, verse 4. Isaiah chapter 14, beginning of verse 4. Then you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How the oppressor has ceased, the golden city ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers. He who struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He who ruled the nations in anger and is persecuted and no one hinders. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. Indeed, the cypress trees rejoice over you and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against us. Hell from beneath is excited about you. To meet you at your coming, it stirs up the dead for you. All the chief ones of the earth. It, is raised, uh, it has raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, and the sound of your string instruments, the maggot is spread under you, and worms cover you. And now the passage that we were looking at, 
How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also set on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. You shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Now, keep going. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of, its prison, of his prisoners? All the kings of the, of the nations, all of them sleep in glory, every one in his own house. But you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch." Like the garment uh, of those who are slain, thrust through with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit, like a corpse trodden underfoot, you will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and slain your people. The brood of evildoers shall never be named. Prepare slaughter for his children because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. For I will rise up against them, says the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name and remnant and offspring and prosperity, says the Lord. I will also make it a possession for the porcupine and marshes of muddy water. I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, says the Lord of hosts. This is a prophecy about Babylon. It's not a description of our enemy. His name is not Lucifer. And so it's important. This illustrates the importance of taking passages in context to understand what they, what they mean. Because, if, again, if you were to pull that out of context, that sounds a whole lot like the enemy, the devil, Satan. But this is a, a prophecy about Babylon. And so uh, one of the misconceptions is that his name is Lucifer. Another misconception is that he is in hell now. A lot of people, you see pictures of the devil. He's in hell now. And there's fire all around him, and that's where he is. The devil is not in hell now. Turn to Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. The devil will be in hell, but he's not there now. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever. The devil's going to be thrown into hell at the end. Another passage that shows this is Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Matthew 25, beginning verse 41, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, where the devil and his angels are right now. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Cast into the, uh, to ever, uh, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. At the end, the devil's going to be thrown into hell. He's not there right now. Another misconception about the devil about our enemy, about Satan, is that he will be the one administering the punishment in hell. You've seen the pictures of him. He's got the pitchfork there. And I guess you just sort of kick people uh, with that pitchfork just to sort of add to their torment, I guess is what the idea is there. He's got the pitchfork, and he's going to be shoveling the coal or whatever, the brimstone, and stoking the fires up. No, the devil will not be administering the punishment in hell. The devil will be getting his punishment in hell. 
We read that in Revelation chapter uh, 20, verse 10, that he's going to be punishment in hell. He'll be punished like all evildoers in hell. Another misconception about the devil is that he can't be resisted. Not a common misconception. In fact, we have a phrase for that. The devil made me do it. It's not my fault. The devil made me do it. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't resist. The devil made me do it. No, the devil can be resisted. The scriptures are very clear about that. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8, and now verse 9. We read verse 8 previously. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning of verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and you're all dead meat. No. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Resist him. He can be resisted. Yeah, he's a roaring lion. Yeah, he wants to eat you. But you can resist him. And James chapter 4, verse 7 tells us the same. Tells us that we can overcome the devil. That he can be resisted. We simply need to flee and resist him. James chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's a beautiful thing about that statement that is made there in James. And it is the compounding effect of us resisting the devil. As we resist him, he gets farther away from us. As we move away from him, he moves away from us. The opposite of that is true, though, isn't it? If we will allow him into our lives, he's going to get in there. He's going to get closer and closer. And we see that, and if we've seen that in our lives, we see it in the lives of people around us. If we're trying to do what God wants us to do, it gets easier to do that the more that we resist. Yet if we give in, the devil has a way into us, and he will get, use that to his advantage. The devil can be resisted. And finally, I believe there's a misconception about the devil, and that is that he isn't really that bad. A lot of people in the world today just aren't all that worried about the devil. Sadly, I'm afraid a lot of Christians aren't all that worried about the devil. I'm afraid that we get sort of comfortable with the fact that we're dealing with this one who wants to sort of get come and destroy us, who's a liar and a tempter and an evil and a wicked one. We sort of get comfortable with that, and we let our guard down. And that's exactly what the devil wants us to do. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning of verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Satan tries to make himself look good, like he's a minister of light, that he's here to help you out, that he's not that bad. People are buying that. We can buy that if we're not careful. He is just as bad and as wicked as all of the things we've looked about at him about tonight say. And we need to never think, 
that he isn't that bad. We need to keep our guard up at all times because we have a real and present enemy. We are in his territory. We are in a war and we're behind enemy lines. We're in bad, a bad area. We've got to have our guard up. We need to be on guard. If we fail and if we fall to our enemy, we'll face the same punishment that he will face in eternity. I don't want to be with this one in eternity. You don't either. We need to resist him. We need to fight against him so that we can be victorious. Ben's going to lead us in faith is the victory. We have a true adversary, a true enemy, a scary one. But he can be defeated. He can be overcome. And we will overcome him through faith. How's your faith? Are you living your faith in your life? Are you resisting the devil? If we'll resist him, he'll flee from us. If you've not been resisting him like you should, will you make change? And if we can help with that, will you let us know while we stand and sing?